please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We are going to talk about Stephen, a very important character in Scripture. We're working our way through Acts and we're, we're asking God to teach us about the church. Now it's interesting because we are the church, we're members of the church. If we know Christ Jesus, if we've been welcomed into his family through the cross and through what Jesus did for us, we are members of the church. But we need to know like what our purpose is and what our place is in God's plan. Because we know that God has a plan to reach the world with the gospel. He wants every people group, every nation, every language, every tribe to be hearing the good news of the gospel and hearing the invitation to come into his family through the grace and the mercy and the death of Jesus Christ. And so his church has a purpose. And so the book of Acts is really so helpful for us because it helps us to see what God is doing and what God was doing and has continued to do throughout history. So we're looking at a man named Stephen. Now we heard about Stephen last week when we were in chapter 5 because he was, early in chapter 6, because he was one of the people who was uh, chosen to help resolve an issue. Remember we talked about an issue in the church that had risen up, it had grown so quickly, and a certain group Uh, Greek-speaking widows were being neglected, really, in the church. They weren't being cared for the way that others were being cared for. And so God rose up some leaders. They've been put in place. And one of those leaders was introduced to us, not just with his name, but in in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says, they chose Stephen, and then they described him a little bit, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then they go on with the rest of the list of of men. This man stands out. Now, the author of this book is Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, like part one, part two. So Luke is highlighting Stephen right off the bat here. He wants us to pay attention to Stephen more than the other guys on the list. No offense to them, but Stephen has a special place in the history of the church. So we want to look into this carefully this morning and not miss what the author, God ultimately, but through Luke, has highlighted for us about this particular man. Because it's a turning point in the church. Lots of things are changing and lots of things are changing very quickly. And when that happens, it could be confusing. It could be difficult for us to understand, but we have God and his word and his spirit to help us to understand Just like in our lives, when things are changing quickly, we need God and his word and his spirit to help us to understand. Often the question we have for God when things get confusing and we get disoriented to say, what are you doing, God? What's happening here? Help me to understand. So he's given us his word and this example here with Stephen to understand. I want to show you this picture. This is a picture made up of many pictures, right? Because sometimes we need to, we need to focus, we need to, we need to pull back to see the bigger picture, and then with a magnifying glass, go closer to see the smaller pictures of what God is doing. Because God has a big plan, and none of us in our little tiny brains can understand all of it. And sometimes if we, if we focus too closely on one thing, we miss the big picture. But sometimes if we're only focused on the general big picture, we miss the small things that God is doing. So by focusing in on Stephen, we begin to see something 
many things, really, but we get to see things that we can appreciate better when, when things are going on in our life. There are times in your life you get so focused on one thing, you miss the big picture. And you need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit, hey, back up, look at the big picture of what God is doing in your whole life, not just last week, not just that one meeting you were in or that one difficulty you had, but look at the big picture. So that's what I want to encourage you with, and I wanted to use this picture as an example of that. I also want to show you a map. This map's going to be the background uh, all morning. This is how the Jewish nation, the Jews, thought of the world. This was their map of the world at a certain time in history, where Jerusalem, where the X is in the middle, I don't know if you can see it, the round middle of the flower is the center of the world. And coming out from there is is Asia as one of those big petals, and Europe as another petal, and going down is Africa. This is what they knew of the world, and this is how they viewed the world. And it's interesting because I don't think they were all that wrong, right? God chose Israel as a nation, a small nation, to show himself to the world. And so he did begin the work there. But what God's desire is, is that the whole world hears the gospel. It doesn't just stay in Jerusalem. So God has a plan. Right now, the church is only in Jerusalem. It's in one specific geographical location. What's going to turn here, the turning point, it's, it's going to begin to spread. It's going to begin to go. And we're going to see that in these next few chapters. But before we do that, we want to see Stephen. We want to focus in on him because he's a major character here. His story actually spans three chapters. It starts in chapter six, I mean, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. We start to, to see him into chapter eight, even in the very beginning. We want to see what God is doing. The five segments of Stephen's story actually start in Acts chapter six, verse one. I misspoke before. He's, he's the first one, as he comes on stage, we have to realize something. He's the first major character who was not an apostle. Now, the apostles are the, the, the disciples, the, the, the original 12, right? The original guys who, who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and saw his miracles. Now we have like first generation, second generation, right? Stephen is second generation Christian. He heard the story of Jesus. He believed it by faith. He never met Jesus. Jesus has already ascended. He's never met him, and yet he lives fully into the embracing the gospel, embracing Christianity and the message of God. So when he comes on stage, we could kind of see him as someone like us. I didn't live in that time period so that I could walk with Jesus on the road and I could, I could listen to his teachings personally. I had to hear the story from someone else. So, so Stephen is a good example for you and I because he's a disciple like you and I who didn't have the privilege of living in that little time, those three years of ministry with Jesus, like the apostles did. So he's the first non-apostle. In, in chapter 6, 8 through 15, we get to see his, his character, what kind of person he is, the way that he's described by Luke. He has very Christ-like characteristics, and we'll look at those in a minute. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 53, we see his sermon. The transitional sermon, this big, long message that he preaches to the Jewish leaders. 
God's message to the nation of Israel. So it's, it's a message for the whole world, but it's specifically given to these men in the Sanhedrin who believed that Judaism was under attack. And, and what Stephen does is he shows them, he helps to open up the word of God so they can see God's plan in Jesus. In the last part of chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, we see Stephen die. And we see the faith that held him there, gave him the, the courage and the bravery to stand for Jesus and to see Jesus actually stand for him as he looks up into heaven in those last verses of chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, Luke, by the power of the Spirit, reveals what God is doing through all of this and that God is actually scattering the church so the gospel can be preached to all nations. So that's how you would break it down if you were to take the whole section that mentions him and what's taking place there. Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. He was, he was a foreign-born Jew. He wasn't born in Jerusalem or in that area. He was from another part of the Greek empire. He has a name that was given to him by his parents, which is a Greek name, and his name means crown. The name Stephen means crown. Now, a crown can be something that represents royalty. A crown can be something that represents victory. And I think in both ways, Stephen has that victory through Jesus, and he is called to be a royal priesthood, right? So his name, his parents, his Greek parents didn't know. They were naming him in a way that we could remember him. The word that, that is used for him, the words that are used to describe him, he is described as full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of power. He's, he's got this crown on him that comes from God, this glory that comes from God, and he's full of these things. He's full of faith. He's full of the Spirit. He's full of power. Another word in, ver in verse 8, if you look at chapter 6, verse 8, he is described as full of grace. This is one of the reasons why I think he was chosen to serve in the early church. He was a graceful man. A graceful man, the word grace actually means unlimited love and favor. And the acceptance of the Lord was on him. So Stephen is introduced as a man in Christ in whom Christ lived powerfully. He's representing Christ in many, many different ways. The Holy Spirit then used Stephen to do great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Verse 8 says. Now, remember, there are different teachings within Christianity, and some of them get off track. There's, there's a teaching that talks about miracles and, and believers who are able to do miracles. And some people say the only people who were able to do miracles were the apostles. Peter, John, those who were walking with Jesus. Jesus gave them that permission. But that can't be true because now Stephen, who never walked physically with Jesus, is doing miracles. So it gives you and I hope when we pray for God to do a miracle that God may use us or God may do a miracle in our lives even though we were not the original apostles. There's a, there's a teaching that says, well, th that all died off when the apostles died off. Well, that can't be true because he's a believer like you and me. Remember that. He has this opportunity to be used by God and do miraculous things for people because God has chosen to show up in his life. Luke tells us he had the same power 
to do the same kind of signs and wonders that Peter, the apostle, was doing. So this is an important transition point for us. Number one, Stephen was Greek and he was Hebrew at the same time. Stephen was not one of the original disciples who followed Jesus during these three years of ministry. He was an ordinary man who was full of faith in Christ, in Christ's death, in Christ's resurrection. He took that and applied that to himself. He was full of the the courage to believe that God still does the impossible in the name of Jesus. And he was a man who loved people deeply. He served them joyfully and humbly and sacrificially. He's a great example of what it could be like to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ, filled fully with the Spirit and used by God in wonderful ways. What happens very quickly in the life of Stephen, and you can see it in chapter 6, verse 9, because it starts with this word, these two words, opposition arose. So when you live fully for God, when you're serving people, when God is using you to do wonderful things, it doesn't mean everything always goes your way. Opposition arose. And we see this again and again and again. So as disciples, we are not to get discouraged. We are not to get discouraged. We're not to ask this question that I hear far too often from believers. What did I do wrong? People who are following God faithfully, they come across some opposition, opposition difficulties with other people who don't like their message, who don't want them to be, you know, around. They start to turn in on themselves. Well, why is this happening? What did I do wrong? They didn't do anything wrong, just like Stephen. Stephen didn't do anything wrong, but opposition still arose because there is Christ and the kingdom of God And there is Satan and the kingdom of Satan. And the two are at war. So as he moved forward in the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom, doing the kingdom things, he's bound to come head to head with the things that Satan likes to do and be in opposition to that other kingdom. We're to remember that. We're still in this battlefield Even though we know and we have faith in all that God has promised us and that every promise is true and every promise is coming to fulfillment in Christ Jesus, we're still in a battle. Do you know that? I know you do. Most of you who I know, I know you do. I know you know there's a battle and you got to be courageous like Stephen and you got to be full of the spirit like Stephen and you got to walk in faith like Stephen did. And even then, opposition still comes. So opposition arose there in, in chapter 9, and it came again from Jewish leaders, Jewish, Jewish men who had given themselves to the, it, it's called the um, synagogue of the freedmen. It's Jews from a different area who come here, and they come together, and they probably are worshiping there because they share a common culture and a common language. God sent Stephen to be a part of that. It's a good thing because God wants to share the gospel with all nations. And so he he uses every opportunity he can to get the word into these nations. So as we think about this, as this opposition started to arise, 
These are people who begin to argue with Stephen. It's, it's clear in this verse. It says in verse, at the end of verse 9, these men began to argue with Stephen. But verse 10 says, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. So it's not like Stephen was naturally smarter than them or a better debater than them. The Holy Spirit was there in him and he had the power to, to speak in a way that they, they, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, basically negate his message. They couldn't say, oh, that's not true because of this or because of that. Every time they had this argument going on, he came out on top because God was using him. As the Spirit spoke to him and spoke through him. You see, it was natural that Stephen, who was a Hellenistic Jew, Greek Jew, he would choose to be in this synagogue to go there to minister, to witness to others about Jesus. He had been raised in that synagogue. He had been raised in those beliefs. And he wanted other people who had been raised in those beliefs to know that Jesus had come, that the Messiah has come. These were his people. He cared about them. And he wanted them to know Jesus. So he brought them the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was the crucified Savior, that he is the risen Lord, that the Spirit has now come and lives within those who believe in him. We have this long argument. If you look at page, the page that we started on in Acts chapter 7, all the way through the chapter, Stephen is preaching. Stephen is, is giving them this long argument. This argument is very much like the type of arguments that Socrates, the great philosophers, used. It doesn't necessarily hit our ears the same way it hit these people's ears, right? His argument followed the, the, the lines of a Greek argument, similar to the ones that Plato used and Socrates used. He was trained this way. He grew up this way. And so he spoke that language. This is great because however you were raised, however you grew up, the training that you have, God wants to use that to speak the language of Jesus to people. You don't have to change who you are. God wants to use who you are, the unique things that you've been through, the struggles that you've been through, the triumphs that you've experienced. Use them as a witness to Jesus. And that's what he's showing us in Stephen. He shows how the Israelites in the Old Testament failed to see that it was their stubbornness and their sin as they turned away from God and they persecuted the people who God sent to them. Several prophets in the Old Testament were also killed. We're going to see that Stephen follows in that footprint, right? They were killed because they were bringing the word of God to people. The issue is that these traditional, very stoic, very, very, very keen uh, understanding of the Old Testament, the covenant, and all that God had, had brought to them beforehand, they refused to listen to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, and now to Stephen as the Holy Spirit uses him. They refused to listen. And when Jesus was here speaking to them, they killed him because of his words. Not because of anything he did, but because of what he spoke as he spoke the truth. The Holy Spirit is now using Stephen in a very powerful way, similar to how he used Jesus. And at first, the people were impressed, it says in verse 10. But then they began to really have a problem with it. 
Now, what I want to do is, is sort of stretch your imagination a little bit because there are little, little signs throughout this that help us to see that God has the bigger picture going on here. If we focus too much on Stephen and his words and what was done to Stephen as they stoned him to death, we'll miss it. So I want you to see that as Stephen was speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we want to we back up and say, who was in the crowd? Who was listening to this message? Because at first they were impressed, but suddenly verse 11 tells us, verse 11 of, of, of chapter 6, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So someone started a rumor. Someone started to, to, to speak badly against him. Who could this be? Well, there's a clue. If you're a good detective, there's a clue in these chapters. But who could this be? This could have been Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus becomes the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus would have been in this synagogue. He's, he's one of these Greek-speaking Jews who has Roman citizenship, right? So he, he's, he's a big guy. He was trained to be a Pharisee. He was trained in, the, in, the, in the, the Jewish religion, right? He was definitely a member of this synagogue here in Jerusalem. And we see it in a few minutes. He was a Hellenistic Jew. He was a brilliant Pharisee. He may have devised this plot to falsely accuse Stephen and to have him killed just as Jesus was just recently killed. You see, they're trying to do away with this message. They know that there's danger in this message, danger to their system, danger to their traditions. So Saul has dedicated himself to the task of purging Jerusalem of the followers of Jesus. He must have been waiting. He must have been watching. He must have been listening to what was going on. He must have been a part of those arguments that were taking place. And he couldn't beat Stephen because the Holy Spirit was inspiring Stephen, Saul may have been humiliated by some of the things Stephen said as he tried to argue with him and to prove his point. And Saul becomes sort of the head of the secret police for the Pharisees. He's going to go around and we'll see him again and again until God gets a hold of his heart and changes him, persecuting the church, persecuting the followers of Jesus. So Saul was part of this plan in some way. I wonder, as we think about Luke, Luke came later in the history of Christianity and wrote these books for us, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Acts, later. So, so Luke had to go around and interview people. So he had to interview people who were still around, the first eyewitnesses, so that he could write the Gospels. You know, he had to find the apostles, I mean, the apostles. He had to find the people who were in the crowd. He had to find maybe the woman at the well. He had to find these people and get these stories so he could record them. And the Holy Spirit led him through that. But I'm wondering who he interviewed to get this long, very detailed message from Stephen. Because who would have been in the Sanhedrin? Not one of the apostles. They weren't there. Stephen was taken and arrested and brought before the court. And in the court, Saul, who becomes Paul, would have been listening. So my imagination, you know, I think 
later, before Paul was arrested, you know, and brought to Rome or whatever, later, he must have heard that Saul was there. Let me go and and get that message and write it down so that all Christians everywhere can know the message that Stephen brought by the power of the Spirit. And I can imagine Paul, now being reborn of the Spirit, just telling him he said this, and then he said this, and then he said this, and then he said this. And Luke wrote the whole thing down. Because it's, it's a very detailed message. You have to read it yourself. We don't have time to read it on a Sunday morning. But he goes through the entire history, and he begins to see, prove to them that they continue to rebel. They continue to push away the message from God. So, let me move on from there. Because I think that he also was inspired by Jesus the way that Jesus was inspired on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember, after Jesus was crucified, before the resurrection, his disciples were walking away from Jerusalem, very discouraged. We have this recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And someone comes up and starts walking beside them. We know, because we have the inside scoop, we know it was Jesus. But he began to say, what's going on? What's happening? And they began to say, oh, you know, we thought Jesus was something, but he's gone now. He's been killed. And Jesus, it says, Jesus began to tell them. In fact, I'm going to turn. You can turn your Bibles there too. It's on page um, two. Uh, it's on page 1047 in Luke chapter 24. But he says, as Jesus began to explain, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them. What was said in all the scriptures concerning himself? And if you look at how Stephen is inspired by the Spirit, he starts with Moses and he goes through the prophets and he explains how God was trying to bring them the truth and now has brought them the truth through Jesus Christ. Same idea, same way of reaching into people's lives. You see, Stephen wanted to show them the faithfulness and the goodness of God all through Israel's history, leading up to the gracious and forgiving gift of his one and only son, Jesus. Stephen uses the sins of the people throughout the history to bring up the sins of those who are right in front of him that day. And that's what makes them angry because he changes the the pronouns in his story from them and they back then to you. As you read the argument, you see he begins to expose their false worship, their false worship of the temple, their false worship of their own rules and regulations. He calls them a stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. He says, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is his confrontation of his brothers in the synagogue. He says, you betrayed Jesus. You murdered him, the righteous one, Jesus. This is a very similar message to the message that Peter brought just a few chapters before this in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, God has made this Jesus, the one who you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Messiah. On the day that Peter preached that sermon, there was a great revival. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, it says in Acts 2. And they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were saved that day. We're just a few chapters from there. Stephen's preaching a very similar message. He comes to a very similar point of confrontation with these Jewish leaders. And maybe if I were Stephen, I know I would have been expecting the same results. Because we love things that, you know, A plus B always equals C. You know, we, we love things that make sense to us. So it would have made sense. Stephen's giving the same sermon, the same type of hard-hearted people. He's confronting them the same way that Peter did. But Stephen gets a very different result. Stephen gets stoned to death. They become so angry, so upset with him. Look at seven, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 54 with me before we wrap up this morning. I want you to see, like, if you go back to, to chapter 2, you see this great revival taking place and 3,000 people receiving forgiveness for their sins and being filled with the Spirit and being baptized in just one day. And then Stephen, when they heard him speak a very similar message, it says in verse 54 of chapter 7, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know what gnashing your teeth is. Is it like growling? I mean, Gene, can you gnash your teeth? Is it like, you know, you're just so angry, you clench your, you know, they're so upset. I love the word. I don't know what it means though. Colin, gnash your teeth. Yeah, it's like, all your energy goes into this anger. They were so furious with him. It says in, in chapter 54, I mean in verse 54, but instead of Stephen reacting to their anger, which is so human of us, right? When someone's angry at us, we react. We either get fearful or we get just as angry, right? We react to the other person's anger. What does Stephen do? Look, look with me at verse, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up. Instead of looking at the anger, instead of seeing the rage in their eyes, instead of being intimidated by them, he looked up. This is a great message for us people. When someone's angry at you, when someone's upset with you, especially because of your representation of Christ in their life, maybe it's the way you're living, maybe it's some things you've shared with them, but they're angry, look up. Don't look back at them and start a, a fist fight. Look up. Look up. And when he looks up, he's so full of the Spirit. When he looks up, the Spirit helps him to see Jesus. It says, he looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's still witnessing. He still wants them to see what he sees. He still loves them and wants them to hear the message of the gospel. But at this, they covered their ears and they were yelling at the top of their voices and they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him, throw stones at him, which is a death sentence. Meanwhile, the witnesses, verse, verse 58, laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
Saul was watching this whole thing. Whether Saul planned it, was part of it or not, we don't have proof at this point, but he was there through the whole thing. And they laid their clothes at his feet so that they could get into this death sentence that they were giving to this, to this saint, really, Stephen. And while they were stoning him, verse 59 says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? Jesus hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The compassion of God is so beautiful when you see it. Even his enemies receive forgiveness. Even people who are killing His prophets, his son, his followers receive forgiveness if they turn to God and they put their faith in Jesus. It's a beautiful story. It's a tragic story. But we need to back up from the tragedy and see what God is doing. Read with me into into chapter 8. So they laid their coats at, at Saul's feet, it says. And then in in chapter 8, it says, And Saul was there giving approval of this death. Again, Saul. Saul showing up. Saul showing up. This story is about Stephen, but it's just as much about Saul. We could miss it. Saul's there. And then it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, except for the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The Holy Spirit is using this event to spread the word, to push people out of their comfort zone and out back into other areas of the country where they can meet more people who have a need to hear the compassion and love of God for them. So Stephen helps to bring about a transition The transition is the church, which is just in Jerusalem, just all together having a great time, which is nothing wrong with that. They're sharing their goods. They're taking care of one another. They're dealing with problems as they come up. But that's a small area of the world. If you look on a map, it's hard to find Jerusalem. Israel itself is a small nation. Small, tiny little corner of the world. And God's heart is for the entire world. Every nation, every people. Every tongue, every tribe, Scripture tells us. So let's learn from that. Let's understand that God has a big plan. Yes, he uses individuals in it to do their part, but he has a bigger plan than we could ever imagine. And his plan is for the whole world. Whole world. So Stephen helps us to know that every believer who's full of God's love and full of God's spirit can have a powerful impact on the kingdom of God. We can serve others and we can speak about Jesus. Every single believer. Number two, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background is, or no matter what people group we come from, we can be used by God and our past, our experiences are also part of our witness. They make us who we are. Don't try to change who you are. The sinful part, God will change, but who you are, where you come from, don't try to hide that. There are people who are like you who need to hear from you. 
Number three, sometimes our faith in God costs us something. Maybe not as much if we don't share as much. That's the tension, right? But if we open our mouths, if we share the truth of Jesus Christ, I bet it costs you. I bet it costs you some friendships. I bet it costs you some invitations. But that's okay. Opposition will come. But that's okay. Number four, Stephen spoke boldly. And we are to be encouraged as well to speak boldly in our faith. Knowing that life here is nothing compared to life there. There's an eternal joy waiting for you. Every believer in Christ has been promised a place where there is no more sin, no more sadness, no more disease, even no more tears. This life has a lot of that stuff in it. That life we look forward to. So when we serve God fully, even if our life is cut short, we win. We get to live in that place that we were designed to live in forever and ever. And lastly, God's plan is larger than any one person. He is working in and through you to influence other people. Stephen influenced Saul. Saul heard all that. He didn't like what he was hearing. He reacted badly to it. But at some point, it was in there. The gospel seeds were planted. And as the Holy Spirit would show us, which we'll see later in the book of Acts, Saul becomes Paul. Paul wrote most of the rest of the New Testament. He is the leader of the early church. The leader of the early church was in the crowd. Not as a follower yet, but he was there. God, it, God orchestrated that. So you never know who's watching you. You never know who's listening to you. You may not even know. You may walk out of the room and never talk to that person. But the message that the Holy Spirit has sent you for has been delivered. You have done your job. Well done, good and faithful servants. Amen? So we keep our eyes on Jesus. And we remember ultimately our reward is in heaven. And in the meantime, we keep speaking and telling people, if we stop that job, we have stopped being the church, the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 